1: Here are your
3: hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. See, just about 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning talking about your money, the economy, investing, business, Small business, large business, all kinds of businesses. Great to have you here this morning. And with me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How you doing? Good morning. Doing well. We got to say we're in the beautiful new studios here. I mean, these are very nice, but we're not sure where some of the buttons are, so we might might mess up a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, high-tech
4: stuff. Looks nice. Uh, Just kind of feeling it around, but uh, good to be here and- so to do the show as always, show hasn't changed, station has changed. So where we're at, our studio has changed. Where we're, we're at, I should say. We're just in
3: cooler looking digs right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll take some pictures and uh, post them on our social media there. But uh, a lot of things a w- lot, l- lot of things going on here uh, this past week here. So uh, let's first off talk about the uh, small business lawsuits. Is this Is something that we discovered? And uh, we're we're pro business, pro small business, large business. We buy companies and so forth. But it's really a shame how our society has become so litigious. Listen to these numbers. 36 to 53% of small businesses are sued in any given year, and 43% of small businesses said they have been threatened with a lawsuit. Now, unfortunately, as many as 95%, listen to that number, 95% of lawsuits are settled before they go to trial. Now, in my opinion, this is self-serving because the more lawsuits that are settled, the more the law firms and lawyers know they don't have to spend a lot of time in court and the return on investment is very high with a short-term settlement versus a long-term trial
4: and I, I do believe uh, small businesses should stand up to these lawsuits and fight them if they truly believe they did nothing wrong i mean it's time consuming and costly but maybe this will make the law firms think twice about suing a small business if they know that the return will not be as quick and they actually have to put some effort into going to trial and, and fighting the case Unfortunately, in the end, who pays? The consumer. As these costs are passed along in the form of higher prices, I, I mean, a, a lot of these small businesses are having to pay the settlements, they're having to pay the cost to go to trial. Mm-hmm. They do decide to go that route, and it's not free. So yep. they have to raise their their costs, they have to raise their prices to offset those costs
3: that are occurring. And, and it's almost like uh, it feels like the law firms are in cahoots with each other. Like, well, if you settle, we'll settle and so forth. We'll make money, we'll all make money. And the business owner, and again, the consumer pays because if the business owner has to pay out extra money for frivolous lawsuits, uh, that's going to be passed on in the form of higher prices.
4: Yeah, and I, I mean, I will say too, it's not just small businesses. I, I think it's much more unfortunate when it's small businesses because you don't have a legal team that can really help fight these. Right. But you see all the time, big businesses get sued as well. But the the benefit they have is they have a, a huge legal team. They have. Yep. Favorable contracts that many times make you go to arbitration rather than actually having the ability to sue them. So the big companies are kind of covered. Where I think that's why the small businesses are, oftentimes just say, "Well, settle," because I don't
3: know what to do. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm not saying that they should that the business is always correct. If they did something wrong, yes, they should have to pay. What I am saying, there's just too many lawsuits going on, and this came from the Small Business Administration. Uh, again, this number of 36 to 53 percent of small businesses are sued, uh, and 95 percent of these cases are settled. That is just not right. And again, it's kind of like, well, just settle because you want to go through the expense and the time and everything else. Just, just settle, have be done with. But then it shows again the law firms, and I think even people as well. Well, they settle before they'll settle again. It sets up yeah. that precedent, unfortunately.
4: Yeah, and, and unfortunately. The sad part is it, it likely will cost more Yeah. to fight the case than if you just settle.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's gonna cost you more. It's gonna take time. But again, I, I think we need to kind of turn things around for the small business side. Uh, maybe set up a coalition of uh, small businesses that we're gonna fight uh, these because it's just not right what the big law firms uh, are doing. Uh, moving on here, on, and by the way, if you like these topics, you want a preview of what we're gonna talk about. You wanna sign up for our newsletter that goes out on Friday because we give you an early preview of what we're talking about. Also, to some other topics that we don't have time to talk about here on the radio show. So if you want to sign up for the news that and get these topics ahead of time, uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, Chase, EV owners, and I was shocked by this. Nearly 20% of EV owners return back to the internal combustion engine according to the University of California, Davis which was published in the Journal of Natural Energy. The biggest complaint they had was charging the vehicle. More specifically, was charging uh, at home. Uh, Another surprise to me.
4: Yeah, and I I was shocked by that as well. I thought for sure at home charging would be the (laughs) easiest as you just plug it in, and you're good right. to go. But apparently not. A lot of people have issues with it, according to this particular survey. And public charging stations ranked as just okay because many stations go down for maintenance or are not close enough for drivers to charge up at. And, and you know, I, I do wonder. I mean, we, we did this post on Facebook, and there's a lot of people, I don't I don't believe that number, and I was surprised by it as well. Bye. But I, I, I'm sure the UC Davis did, did some deeper research than just a Facebook poll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think they did, probably. <laughs> and I, I think, too, the, the people that get all fired up about it and write back, you're, you're not hearing the other people that uh, aren't writing back as well. So
3: Yeah. And, and you know, and you think about this, the charging at home, people say, well, yeah, if I have solar, it's okay. Yeah. But, like, in my house, there's four active drivers. Now, if we all had EV cars, point. we had to plug them all in would we drain things? And I thought these uh, batteries that they have, I thought they last last longer. Somebody said they don't last that long. There's not that much power in those batteries. So you could destroy all that power in the battery because it might've been a cloudy day. It's at nighttime. Um, you it's start, cold. Cold, exactly. You start expanding out a little bit and you'll be on one car. Maybe there is some reasons not to get a, an EV car.
4: Yeah, I, I, <clears> had,
3: I didn't think about the multiple drivers in the
4: household. That, that could really limit your ability to charge and what about the people, too, that, that don't have solar? Another one that, that you brought up was, what about the people that live in apartments and yeah, condos? I and I, I think that number, in New York, I think it's around 24% of people live in an apartment. And oh, I, that's true. Yeah. I, I think here in California, I want to say it was around 10 right. to 15%. And unfortunately, the survey I was looking at was from a few years ago. I couldn't find one that was uh, up to date. But still, I, w- I would venture to say it's somewhere around that, that same level. And... What are those people supposed to do if we go to an all-EV future? Uh, are the landlords or, or the condos and apartments, are they supposed to pay for an EV charging network? Why should they? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's a lot of questions that still have to be answered there. And the other thing, too, I'll say is that the charging takes longer. It's not like you go to the gas station, you're done in a few minutes. Those EV stations that you're charging up at need to be in kind of a convenient place. like So you can go grocery shopping yeah. or you can go to a restaurant and knock it out. But then what if they're full? you got to wait for one to open up. I mean, there's still a lot of that convenience factor
3: that's coming into play. And, and also, too, one thing, as you're talking, I'm just thinking as well, that uh, right now I'm going to say, I don't think it's even 1% of the cars are EV cars yet. And I'm starting to see these... Across the country, for sure. Across the sure. country, you're <laughs> right. Uh, and I'm starting to see these uh, EV station, you know, charging stations pop up. What about when it gets to 10%, 15%? How many... Are these stations going to be there, and how long you got to wait for that? I mean, it's, it's going to be, a, I think, a nightmare. You kind of visualize that out—that uh, you got fifteen percent of the cars on the roads are EVs. Where are you going to put these cars to charge them all the time?
4: Yeah, I—I yeah. I, I don't know. There's some great questions there, and uh, I know some people love their EVs, oh, yeah. and uh, you know they're very, very happy with them. And uh, you know, we've kind of talked about—I don't know—I kind of like the GMC Hummer. Maybe yeah. I, I, we'll see what happens <laughs> there. But should be know, coming out soon, by the way. <laughs> yeah, should. And uh, just kind of wondering. I guess, what would it be
3: like to have an EV? It, it, it would be a little bit of a change in terms of thinking yeah. about your, your fuel. As we talk, I'm almost wondering, again, I'm not against EVs, I'll never have one because I get dizzy when I drive them, but uh, maybe it'd be almost like a secondary car, you'll have both maybe, who knows. Maybe. So, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about something very important for investors and that's a margin debt in the United States for stocks is getting close to $1 trillion coming in at $935.9 billion.
4: And if you think that is a warning sign, you're correct, because it's a 42% increase in the past year. And, you know, this is kind of my my thought here is that the expansion of the money supply has slowed. It's still kind of been growing, and we still know there's a lot of cash out there, but it's not that rapid increase that we saw during COVID when the, the monetary policy was even easier than it is currently. I think people are now are saying, oh, well, stocks just go up. So if I borrow it, I, I don't know what margin is. I know it's more expensive than oh, your yeah. traditional ways to borrow. Let's just say it's 8%. If I borrowed 8%, I made like 100% last year. I'm still going to be way, way up. <laughs> I think that's why you're starting to see that margin debt increase even further as people are addicted to the stocks going up. And we know that's not the case. And you can get burned very, very badly. And then you get margin calls. And when you start to get margin calls, well, then that stock has issues as it can sell off quite quickly. you got to be very careful with these. Yeah, and
3: it's just a warning sign. People say, well, no one told me the market was going to come down. These are warning signs you have to be aware of if you're an investor. Margin debt is very risky because it's borrowed money, and that's the first one that you kind of start saying, oh, I I better sell, I better sell to pay off that margin. or you get that margin call, so very important. I was going to say, too, the the other thing with margin is –
4: I'm going to venture to say here, people aren't using margin to buy, let's say, a a Kraft Heinz. People are using margin to oftentimes buy your Teslas, your Netflixes, your Amazons, those hype stocks right now. Those are the types of people that are taking on the margin. I I don't think a lot of the people on margin are buying your value companies, your safer, more established dividend paying companies. I believe it is going to be the high flyers that
3: that are going to be hit by these margin calls. Right, right. And uh, another thing, but I I gotta say that my screen just went blank. So uh, I was gonna give about the phone numbers for people, but my screen went blank. Uh, you want to call in, uh, you want to get that unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion about what you want to talk about. Give us a call here at the studio, eight three three Two eight eight zero nine seven three. 288 973 that's 833-288-0973, and we'll have somebody here come to pick, uh, fix my uh, screen, why else it just kind of went blank and uh, things are not up there again, but uh, I did want to talk about uh, AMC stock, uh, AMC, you know, we've talked about this, and another thing I want to warn people on is that uh, I hope you do not fall for the hype around AMC stock, it was announced. Uh, what is it? This past week, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday, that the CEO has sold ninety percent of his shares, and not only that, but the CFO, and this is a guy that knows the financials, uh, he sold hundred percent of his stock.
4: Yeah, and the stock was down about ten percent yesterday morning. And and again, if you still hold this stock, it may be a warning sign to get out now. I mean, this is this has been a stock that was a huge, huge hype stock. Uh, and hit a high of 72.62, well, now it's back down to 27.44. Wow. I mean, that is a huge decline, and, I I mean, we've never understood it. AMC has no value in it. There's a lot of problems with the stock. (laughs) Getting to know the CEO only has about (laughs) 10% of his original holding now, and the uh, CFO has no stock in AMC. That is a terrifying, terrifying statistic.
3: Yeah, and, and it's just something that I want to warn people because who's holding the stock now are probably those, what are they called, Reddit uh, investors who are just not looking at this here. They're just looking at, oh, we're going to get more people to buy this, and and they're not looking at the fundamentals of the business. And then when the CEO and the CFL s- sells all their stock or 90% of it, that's a major warning sign. So be investor beware. Well, and the big thing that
4: people don't understand is you know there's this, this term called diamond hands where you, you don't sell. Oh, that's and a crazy that's right? a crazy crazy name but the thing that a lot of people don't understand is yeah you might not have uh people selling but also the shares that are still trading like let's say those cfo and the ceo sh- shares now they're, they're out there floating on the market they're selling them well now you have the next person you could only have let's say one share trade that day on amc but if you buy that share at, let's say 25 dollars a share well that's what amc is worth now not what you think it's worth and I, I don't think AMC is even worth $27 a share. <laughs> but it doesn't matter if you have these diamond hands. If it goes lower and lower and lower, you need new people that want to buy the stock at a higher price to get that stock price going up. And I, I don't see what's going to be the catalyst to get the AMCs and, and even the Game Stops back to where they were at the crazy times earlier
3: this year. Yeah, and then you talk about the Game Stops and stuff and so forth. There's a lot of crazy things out there, and I hate these— Fancy names they come up with to make people feel like, oh, I'm being cool. Diamond Hands. What a silly thing to do. Just so yeah. you make you feel good. It's just like, no, don't just stay with that. Yeah. So, uh, and before we go to the calls here again, phone number is 833 288 0973. We, we got to bring up Inflation Chase. It's uh, here big time as Consumer Price Index registered a gain of 6.8% November compared to last year. That was the highest increase since 1982. Areas that drove inflation higher include energy, which was up 33.3% as gasoline was up 58.1%. Food prices were up 6.1%. And used car and truck prices, this has got to come down, Uh, they were up 31.4%. I I do believe as we lap these elevated levels in many areas next year, inflation will pull back from these highs.
4: And however, one area that I believe will continue to keep the CPI above 3% will be shelter costs this portion of the index comprises about one-third of it but even with the rapid increase we've seen in housing prices it was up just 3.8 percent compared to last year this was actually the highest level in that that measure since 2007 but it, it is far from the double digit gains that we have seen in the actual home prices i be saying well how in the world is there this disconnect well it's actually because the cost of shelter is based on what renters are paying and what the owner's equivalent rent of their primary residence would be so it's not based off of oh well i bought my house for you know 13 percent higher than what it was worth last year it's not based off the housing prices it's based off a survey that says well if you were to rent your house how much would you pay in rent that's what how they gauge the shelter cost rather than the home prices and i i believe this will actually lead to a longer runway for inflation to remain high as the price of rent tries to catch up to the prices that people have been paying for these homes. So you've seen home prices increase 18, 19%, but yet the, the rent here in California and San Diego, I believe it's capped at about 4%. Well, I think you're gonna have to see that 4% max out to try and recoup the cost of what you paid for the house. Right. So That's why I continue to think you'll see the shelter cost be around 4% over the next few years to try and recoup these higher
3: housing prices that people are paying for. You know, I got a good uh, question on social media, and they said, well, uh, why is it only up 6% or so because, you know, we know gas is up and so forth. I believe, and I uh, guesstimate this my memory, if it serves me correctly, I think there's 220 or 240 items in that index. There's a lot of things in there. And the other thing uh, thing, too, is that if you already own a home, well, you're not paying any inflation on that home. You know, so there's many different things that are into that index that you may not feel. And I don't believe medical costs have gone up. Uh, I've not heard that. So I, I don't think medical costs are going up. So if you're a senior and you're going to the doctor a lot, you may not be feeling inflation that way. It's, it's <laughs> only if you're driving yeah. and eating food. <laughs> and the certain foods.
4: Well, now, I do think that the reason is that we won't see about 7% inflation going forward is because the energy costs. I, I don't think you're going to have these 55% gains. I was saying here in California, I mean, you never know. But, gosh, what, are we going to be paying 750 yeah, gonna say next year? <laughs> <Eight> <laughs> dollars year. $8 for a gallon of gas next year. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you're going to lap that. But the thing that that will continue the inflation is these transportation companies. And, you know, I was watching Fox Business the other day, and it was this, this meat company. And they've raised the prices on their meat, but their profits have shrunk. Right. Well, they're going to continue to have to raise prices to offset the transportation costs. So there's, there's kind of like trickle down through the supply chain that I think you'll see different components in the supply chain have to increase prices to catch up to where the prices are from the kind of top-end suppliers here. So that's why I think we'll continue to see the CPI around probably, my guess, about three and a half, four percent 4% over the next
3: few years. Yeah, I, I think it could be maybe, I'll say 3 to 5 I think it could be a little bit higher. But we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. And, and again, I do think that uh, next year we're going to see interest rates rise, which is going to cool things down somewhat as well. We know that the Fed is talking about that, so I think it's going to, happen next year. So uh, a lot of things will change. Should have gone with a
4: bigger range. Three and a half to four is pretty tight there. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> A little bit bigger. Give yourself a little leeway there. So so you can say, yeah, I was right. Uh, it was a 4.9. <laughs> yeah, I think it's
4: going to be between oh one 1 and 10. <laughs>
3: yeah. All righty. Phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. As always, that'll get through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Let's go out to Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you?
0: Hey, guys, good morning, starting off your show once again. Uh, thanks, as always, for being there. and uh, Your new mics sound really good, by the way.
3: Well, good, thank you for that, we appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's wonderful. So listen, I'm one of those guys who does margin stuff on value companies. Ah. Uh,
3: <laughs> like that. be careful uh, I
0: don't I don't do I don't do Tesla I don't do Apple you know I do Procter & Gamble I do Valero you know Prudential stuff like that so let's talk about PPL it's a nice dividend company it's it's kind of flat price-wise, but it just keeps cranking out the dividends, and I'm wondering how it looks for the future.
3: All right. Well, let's say a looked at PPL. That is the name of the company and the symbol. They are a utilities uh, regulated electric utility. Uh, not much on the float side, which is positive when you're on margin because you don't expect a big drop here, but it's a only 1.5%. Institutional ownership, 67%. They do have a high PE though, 25.5 above the high industry at 24.4. We do see price of sales 2.8, also above the industry at 2.4. Price of tangible book value 1.6. That's very good because the industry is at 12.1. And then price cash flow checks in at 8.9 versus 10.2. So valuation ratios not looking great, but not looking terrible. Now, something's going on here. Earnings per share over the last year are down 43.8%. Industry was up 9%. Over the five years, down 16%. And sales not doing anything great here. Now, they were up 2.2% for the past year versus the industry up 04 For the five-year average, up 09 versus 05 uh, A problem here, too, with the five-year earnings per share, estimated growth here from the analysts, they're looking for earnings to fall 16.2% over the next five years industry estimate 4%. They do pay that dividend of 5.8%, but they have no payout ratio because they have no profits over the last 12 months. So that's not a good thing either. Uh, We do see that they have a current ratio of 2.6, very good. And this is a 0.8 debt equity 80% versus 150% for the industry. Looking at uh, the net profit margin, a negative 17% versus a pause of 9.9%. So not good numbers, Chase. I hope you have something better here on the earnings going forward.
4: My screen is just kind of freezing is the Uh only thing. The internet's getting a little bit slow, but uh, I might not be able to pull that up. It looks like my computer's waiting. But I was looking at interesting on this company is the areas they serve is Kentucky, Pennsylvania, and the U.K.,
3: Wow, that's kind of
4: <laughs> so. Uh, well. Most of the time, they're, like uh, they're, they're pretty regional. Like yeah. you might do like California, Arizona, and you know even let's say Washington. Well, it's all kind of in the western western uh, part of the country. Well, here you got Europe, and the other thing that's interesting too is are, are the regulations different? Yeah, I would assume so.
3: I think so. yeah. So
4: I I, I just
3: I, I don't like Jim either when when you have a company that has in different states, different countries, because things are different, and what worries me is that th- they may not know about something maybe in the U.K. that can blindside them, and uh, Kentucky, and I think, Chase, you said uh, Pennsylvania, uh, they must own like different things there. I, I, I do see why, why Chase is trying to pull his up. You got it up there? Yeah, oh. I was
4: going to say the, the current price here for PPL, well, it's uh, $28.73. 52-week low here, $26.15, and the high is $30.72. So uh, as you kind of said, it hasn't really moved that much, Jim, and uh, not surprised. I think a lot of times people just rely on this for almost the income, almost kind of like, a, I don't want to call it this, but it's so much like a fixed income type play where you get a higher yield. Unfortunately, there is still that that price risk. But what I do see is if I go out to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $1.60. Using our 16.6 multiple, we get a Target sell price of $26.56. So not overly overpriced, but for utility, and especially years ago, utilities never really traded at these types of levels. Right,
3: yeah. But uh, it, it is pricey based off of our, our target sell price. And, and the other thing, too, Jim, I'd be worried about is, is why they lost 17% of net profit margin, what's going on with those earnings, why are they declining. Uh, these are things that you really have to understand with a business. You don't want, again, have perhaps there's lawsuits, perhaps there's some problems they're having, uh, do you have a margin on this account, uh, this stock as well? You're looking at buying this one.
2: Oh no,
0: I've I've owned this stock for quite a while. And I just, uh, you know, I, uh, I've got a very, very good rate of margin. I try to not go out too deep in it. Just I just use it for a little extra, okay, a little extra spiff in the portfolio.
1: Yeah, I, I, know, I, I can yeah,
0: really cheap, and I get the dividends. I get are more than the margin I pay by a Amount.
3: Right. I, I'm just kind of worried about those n- minus signs I see in front of the earnings per share of the last one year and five year, the net the net margin negative. Uh, you got to find out what's going on in this business. Make sure it's something that they can fix or perhaps they took some write-offs or something caused that problem. But really understand that problem because it could be on the other side could be warning signs that this company could have problems down the road. So check a little bit deeper and make sure it's a, a safe company there. already
0: ready? Yep. That's why I call you guys. You, you come up with these like look- Oh, man, I never thought of that. You know, okay, well, good. That's, you know, that's, why, that's why I'm on the phone. Uh, and uh, I'm once again grateful for your show and uh, grateful for you guys. And good luck in, over what is it, over at Odyssey over there?
3: Yeah, we've got new studios here, yes.
0: Yeah, uh, good luck with that. And uh, you do sound better, so thanks. Well,
3: thank that's you. Great. I appreciate that. And uh, be sure to tell your friends and neighbors, you know, because you don't want them losing money either, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Jim. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go down to Chula Vista and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you?
0: like your impression of Citigroup, Steve.
3: Okay, do you hold that or looking to buy that?
0: I've been buying it from 70 down to Current 60. Every couple point drop, I pick up 100 shares. It seems to me like it's just giving money away at this point.
3: Yeah, let's, let's take a look at the numbers on uh, uh, Citigroup because I, I know we have liked the banks, and I don't think we've looked at Citigroup in a while, so I'm glad you called on that one because I'm kind of curious how, how they are looking. Again, the company is Citigroup, symbol is C. Uh, not much short on the company, only 1.9%, about 78% held by institutions. Uh, very good P.E. ratio, 5.8 versus 7.6. Price of sales looks good, 1.7 versus 2.3. Price of tangible book value, 0. 0.8 versus 3.6. That tells you for the tangible assets of this company, you're only spending 80 cents on the dollar. That, that's a big positive. I, I like seeing that. And price of cash flow is 2.1 versus 2.6. Now, you've got a good low peg ratio. The lower the peg ratio, the better, 0. 0.3 versus 1.5. Earnings are up 106% year-over-year, year, above the industry at 92%. Uh, earnings over the last five years climbed by 17.9%, same as the industry. But sales over the past year are down 6.3%. The industry is down 2.3%. 5 year sales rate, zero versus 33 And you have a five-year earnings per share growth estimate of 22.1% by the analysts versus 156 So a big positive there. They do pay a dividend of 3.4% and only use... 19.2%. They're needs to pay that out. This is a bank, a little bit different uh, balance sheet here, but you do have a current ratio of 1.4. About, I'm sorry, a debt to equity about 1.4. About the same as the industry at 1.5. Banks don't have current ratios because of the way they uh, account for their uh, profits and their their deposits and so forth. Uh, net profit margin very good for Citigroup, uh, 31.9 above the industry at 31.3. Return on equity, 10.9. I wish that was a little bit higher. The industry checks in at 11.7. Chase, what do you got? Current price here for Citigroup, I, I'm
4: quite shocked. I'm almost speechless. I, I, I wouldn't think it'd be here. $60.71. I, I say this because the 52-week high is $80.29, and the 52-week low, $57.40. It, it seems like all the other financial companies I look at are not near their 52-week lows, and year-to-date, Citigroup is up just 1.5%. So Hmm. it's lagged, you know, the B of A's, the Wells Fargo's, the JP Morgan's, uh, quite substantially this year. And I'm not quite sure why that would be. Uh, But looking forward, I mean, gosh, the valuations on this company are are, are tremendous. 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $8. That would give us a target sell price of $132.80. Now, one thing I do see is it is down from 2021 when the estimate's $10.55 for this year, but I I believe a lot of the decline, and I have seen this in other financial companies, is 2022 doesn't look as strong as 2021, but I believe a lot of that stemming from the reserve releases that have occurred as that is actually earnings, and that's not gonna be something that continues as they've now released a lot of those reserves. So uh, I'm not too concerned about that number declining, But uh, I I just, Citigroup for years now seemed like it's traded under the book value. Right. And I I don't know what the big
3: risk to it is. We haven't spent enough time on it. And and I would be pretty excited about Citigroup. In in our portfolio, I think our financials make up about 20% of our portfolio. So we can't look at, uh, I would not waste our time looking at Citigroup. However, I think it is worth the time for an investor to look at it because why is it down so much compared to the other big money center banks? And again, Citigroup has a uh, Costco credit card. They got a lot of good things going on. So I, I kind of like this, but uh, you got to do your own research on it. I was going to
4: say, it's got my two favorite credit cards. It's got my double cash where I get 2% back on yeah. everything, and then uh, the, the Costco card. So uh, I, I think they have potential. I do believe one issue that we have brought up with them in the past is they have more international exposure, That's right. which, which can create different risks and different regulations that, that could be more costly. So, I haven't looked at this in detail in years, because as Brent said, we don't have the ability to buy another financial company. But it's intriguing, and I, I think it's definitely well worth the research.
3: Yeah, Jim, I, I think it's a pretty good worth of research, as Chase says, so um, uh, we like the numbers, like what we're seeing, but you know, do the research, because maybe there's something there that this quick analysis here that we're doing, we're not seeing something that could cause the problem alrighty
0: yeah appreciate
3: it alright Jim thanks for calling have a good one bye now bye
4: bye alright I was going to say too uh, one thing that I always like to talk about on the show is uh, you know every Friday we do a smart investing weekly stock analysis on YouTube uh-huh, and yeah. uh, yesterday gosh, uh, I talked about Peloton uh, right. I'm going to away here you have a little eye infection so you you weren't able to (laughs) to do the video so it was just myself but talking about peloton i mean gosh that stock is down close to 80 percent now from its highs and you know people might be saying oh is it a buying opportunity should i look at it (laughs) i brought up even it's funny (laughs) it was in sex in the city in the reboot and it's so bad that they kind of spun out uh, a gentleman died on the Peloton <laughs> bike. And I was like, oh, geez, that's not even good publicity for the stock. Yeah. But I uh, took a closer look at that. So if you're interested in Peloton, kind of finding out more what, what we think about that stock, other stocks on there as well that we've talked on the past, go to our YouTube channel. Type in Smart Investing with Brenton Chase Wilsey. Very easy. Just again, go to YouTube.com and, and type in Smart Investing with Brenton Chase Wilsey. And you can see our weekly stock analysis there. And be sure to subscribe so you get notified when
3: we do post. Other videos there. alrighty Phone number is eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go. I I think I uh, go to Clovis. Uh, speak with Dan. Is that where Dan you calling from? Clovis. Is that correct?
1: I, I am calling from Clovis, outside of Fresno.
3: Okay. I was gonna say I don't recognize where Clovis is. Uh, There's good wrestling up there, isn't there? Yeah. Th-
1: High that would be about it, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, how can we help you there,
4: Dan? I think
1: you nailed it. Right there. Good morning, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, I would like – I've been hearing a lot of things about the uh, housing market next year for uh, single-family homes. They're talking about a possible bubble, a burst, and another crash, and multifamily is talking about doing great things. I was wondering if you could give me your thoughts on how you see the market next year maybe next couple of years in the housing market versus multi-family.
3: Yeah, sure, sure, Dan. And, and we kind of step back and look at things from the fundamental side. And I know there's a lot of people out there, oh, housing's hot. And, oh, it's going to be great. And it's going to keep going up and up. Well, we heard that also in 2007, and it didn't last. Because, you know, step back and look at the fundamentals. And we'll, we'll look at such things as can people afford to pay those mortgage payments? What's affordability? And it, as it goes up in price, Well, there's going to be less people going to afford that house, which is less demand there. The the other thing we we, we know is going to happen, interest rates will be rising. That's got to happen next year. Uh, uh, Powell has even said that's going to happen. So I I don't think there's going to be a major crash in the housing market, but my opinion is it's probably going to slow down and then maybe a slow decline. Over the next year or two, and I I think the big thing too is the reason
4: 2007 was was so difficult was uh, a lot of the liar loans and and the ease with which people could get loans, and that's just not the case any any anymore. I mean, it it, it, it's kind of a challenge. It's kind of a pain in the butt sometimes when you're applying (laughs) for a loan. You got to supply (laughs) all this documentation, and there's a lot more to it. So I think you're not seeing that same type of froth that we've seen uh, in 2007. But there's no way about it. Housing is expensive, so our kind of estimation is over the next 10 years. I wouldn't be surprised if the housing market averaged, let's say, one percent per year. I, I just I think we're not going to have a major pullback like we've seen. We, we might see like a five. A 10% correction so to speak and then it just goes nowhere for quite some time but I, I think it, it could just be 10 years from now housing hasn't increased very very much so I, I, I just don't see that that major crash that we saw in the past
3: and, and I think the enthusiasm is going to taper off next year we, we, we did a, a post gosh, probably about six months ago about how uh, younger buyers are not really thrilled after they got the house like well what I got to cut the grass got to all this stuff yeah. and I think I'm paying too much so I think some of the enthusiasm could temper next year. And uh, I, I mean, I, I sold my house. Uh, I, I took a big profit. I'm renting right now. Uh, actually, everybody in our office rents. Nobody owns a house in, in our financial firm. Um, I don't have a problem with people doing that, uh, unless you have kids going to school, you want to stay in that school district, something like that. But I, I've just seen this happen before. And you're not going to sell at the absolute top. Uh, but I think you could you know, take some advantages of doing that. And if you are renting, don't be in such a hurry to buy a house. Be patient. You're not missing it. Housing is not going to go up another 20%, 30%. It can't because people can't afford uh, those higher prices.
4: And I did want to kind of answer your your initial question there, too, about multifamily versus single family. I I, I do actually believe multifamily will do better than single family because Mm -hmm. I think you saw this flight to the urban kind of cities or the suburban area, excuse me, uh, to get those single family homes as COVID hit. And I think as the downtown lives kind of come back, and it's like you know, actually living downtown was pretty cool. You kind of might start to see that revert back to the apartments and the condos that, that are more in the uh, the nightlife type areas. So that's not really for me, but I, I do think that there are people that miss that type of yeah. lifestyle. They're like, <clears throat> "Why did I move
1: out to the suburbs?" You know. Yeah. So
4: I, I I do think multifamily will actually be
3: stronger than single family, to be quite frank.
4: And also just too need
1: more inventory. And,
3: yeah. and and also too off. Kind of off topic, but we, we're hearing more and more about this mileage tax, mm-hmm. and and that's going to cost more money. Whether you have an EV or regular car, and you're living out in the, the suburbs somewhere, you got you know 20, 30 minute drive in, you might say, you know what, I, I think I'm going to sell that house and move closer in the, <laughs> to where my job is, because people are going back to the jobs,
4: and people do
3: return to the office. That's right. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Good points. Yep. So. So that's our, that's our opinion. I, I'm not looking for a big crash, as we said, but uh, I, I think the hype and the, the, the big gains are, are in the in the I would be shocked matter.
4: if we saw double-digit gains in housing
3: next year. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't see how that can happen. All right, Dan. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have
1: a quick second for a quick stock question? Do we have time?
3: A stock question? Yeah, well, we'll go ahead. We'll, yeah. we'll, what is it?
1: Kodak. What do you see? No, Hertz. Where do you see Hertz going? They just bought a bunch of Teslas they crashed they're coming back where do you see the stock
3: uh well well let's look. I, I gotta kinda look at the numbers I thought it was gonna be a quick question but uh, let's do this quick for you do you know what the symbol is for Hertz is it H- HTZ HTZ Let, let's just do a quick analysis here for you Dan uh, let's see Hertz Global Holdings uh, let's see what we got here um, okay wow only 40% owned by institutions which is unusual Uh, P.E. ratio, very high, 71 versus 77 for the industry. Price to sales looks good, 0.9 versus 1.9. Price to tangible book value, expense of 48.9 versus 20. That is not good. Price to cash flow, 4.9 versus 6.6. That's good. No PEG ratio, uh, which is not good. Uh, They have no earnings, no sales over the last uh, one year, five year. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Very important. Let's take a look at the balance sheet here. And this is the problem. you got a current ratio of 2.7 versus 1.8. That's not the problem. The problem is the uh, debt to equity is 240%, which is above the industry at 200%. So very risky to be in that. They do have a fair amount of tangible assets also, 20% versus 14.4. Net profit margin, 5.1 versus 8.7%. That's not good. Return on equity is low at 7.2 versus 17.1. Chase, real important the numbers going forward on the earnings.
4: I was gonna give the current price here for Hertz, $24.92. Wow, 52-week two high, $46. How did it surge to that level? Did that come after the Tesla deal? So I wonder where it's oh my gosh, that's this is right. So great. I, f- I forgot about the Tesla I mean, deal. <laughs> it really pulled back from there. 52 week low though, $14.15. So it kind of trading in the middle. Uh I I I'm honestly shocked by this. The Estimated earnings per share in 2022, $2.41, would actually give us a target sell price here for Hertz of $40 flat. So I mean that that's well above the, the current price. And I, I I'm surprised they're asked to make that much of a profit. I will say this year in 2021, estimated earnings per share is four dollars and two cents. So I, I'm
3: not sure what the big decline is coming from. But still profitable. And also too, I d I, I don't because I think I look at something different. I only see three analysts, Jason. The range is a dollar thirty nine to two ninety eight. So that's something kinda worries me a little bit that maybe yeah. it's a little bit too high. Uh, and what would really turn me off here, Dan, is that much debt. Because if things slow down, they still gotta pay that debt. What are you gonna say, Jason? I was
4: gonna say I, I don't know how they carry that debt. Oh, yeah? As a rental company they, they might have to carry the debt a little bit differently. But the big question is they already filed for bankruptcy once, Once. is it gonna happen again? (laughs) (laughs) And
3: they saved the shareholders somehow, which is very, very unusual. I don't think it would happen again. So I would, uh, some numbers look good, some numbers look bad. I would have to stay away from from this one here because I just don't like to buy high tech companies. Okay, Dan?
1: Very good, very good. Thank you so much for your time. You do a great job. Thank you for being there for us. Greatly appreciate your time.
3: Thank you for being there too, Dan. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Already, that does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. But it's time to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning?
5: Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How about yourselves?
3: Well, good, good. I, I see today we're talking about it is a holiday season, so great time to talk about perhaps gifting stocks.
5: Yep, it's a giving time of year. So I thought it was appropriate. Um, so gifting stock, uh, two areas where a lot of people consider making gifts near the end of the year. It might be to number one a charity or maybe number two some family or friends or something like that. So when you gift to charity, anything that you gift, whether it's cash or anything else, you get a deduction for the fair market value of what you give to them. So you gift thousand dollars worth of cash, that's a thousand dollar deduction for you on your uh, on your taxes. If you gift now a $1,000 worth of some stock, you get the same tax deduction. But then in addition to that, you also get to avoid any capital gain taxes you would have on that stock. So if you gift something that's appreciated in value, you can still gift that, get the deduction, then not have to worry about capital gain taxes. Um, if you're gifting to family, you can gift cash a lot of um Parents and grandparents like to do that for kids and grandkids so um, gifting cash is fine but I would say also consider gifting stock. Just like a charity you can gift stock but now you don't have to sell that stock and realize the capital gains. When you're gifting to a another person the cost basis of your shares then transfer to whoever you are giving to. So many times kids and grandkids are in a lower tax bracket so if they were to liquidate the shares they're going to pay less tax on it than you would or uh, maybe it's a good company. They want to hold it and and uh, receive the growth going forward. So giving time of year, I thought it'd uh, be nice to talk about uh, different ways of, of gifting.
4: And I don't want to be a buzzkill here, but I uh, <laughs> do want to make sure that, uh, unfortunately, you have to itemize if you gift to charity to get the <laughs> deduction.
5: It is true. It is true. So you have to itemize in order to get the deduction for that when you're giving to charity. Um, actually, this year, Last year and this year, you can make cash donations to charity, even if you claim the standard deduction, it's $300 per person. Uh, but that is for a cash donation, it wouldn't qualify for the stock, but Chase is right. Um, if you are a, a standard filer, then uh, you would want to be wary of, of how much you're going to gift. You might not get the tax benefit that you're thinking. But you still would avoid avoid um, capital gain taxes if you are gifting stock. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and here's, and here's a, a good time when you're on a financial planner because they, uh, they come in and see you, you're a CFP, and you've been doing this for many years now. They come into you like, well, gosh, I want to do this, but I can't do it because I'm not itemizing. There's ways that you can probably look at saying, look at the whole financial plan saying, well, here's a way to do it. Maybe we can uh, want to do that remodel you want to do. Well, you can itemize if you take out a second on your home or something. So there's. Ideas that you can come up with to help people. This is what a true financial planner does, not just sell you mutual funds.
4: And I was going to say, too, is yeah. just because you can't. Take the tax deduction, you know, charities still need help. So yeah, yeah. you know, I, a lot of people still give to charity. So are you you know you want to make your sure you're, cherry, charity charity uh, head chase? Uh, yeah, of course a little bit. You know, the Fighters Fight Foundation always needs some help <laughs> in, in terms of providing help to women with breast cancer. But uh, the thing is if you're giving to charity, you want to make sure you're doing it in the most efficient way possible. And 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 I always say giving stock is a great thing. If you had like a company that was up a hundred percent, let's say, it's like, gosh, you donate that stock, yeah. you you forgive all that capital gains tax.
5: That's exactly right. QCDs are another way to do it. I've talked about that in the past. If you've got uh, some RMDs that you're taking, you can divert some of the RMDs to charity. That way you don't have to uh, get that RMD um, as a, a taxable income to you in that year. So like Brent said, there's there's a lot of different ways that you can go about doing it, just depending on the situation.
3: Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, great uh, holiday advice for, for investors, and uh, thanks for being here this morning. We'll see you on Monday.
5: All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on Monday.
3: All right. Sounds good. Bye-bye. All right. Again, that's Harrison Johnson. Here's our financial planner, our CFP at the Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, he is on a salary. He does not sell any products. Uh, it is a fee-based financial plan. So if you want an unbiased financial plan, uh, you also got a free hour consultation to see if it is right for you. Give them a call at the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858 858- 546 4306, or or go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com to get your free consultation with our CFP, our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. All right, phone number's here 833 288 0973. That's 833 288 0973. Let's go up to Escondido and speak with Paul. Paul, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you?
6: Oh, hi guys. Hey, I just want to say I uh, really enjoy your show. It's entertaining and informative, and uh, yeah, and, and enjoy the podcast in particular. Oh, thank you. Hey, my question is about EcoLab. It's a stock I've owned for about ten years. Um, it's been a good, uh, good stock in that time. I've made a good amount of money, but I'm wondering if uh, you know maybe it's the time to get into something better. I'm emotionally attached to the stock because it's into food safety, into uh, public safety, infection control, but lately the stock seems to be a little flat, Mm -hmm. and just wanted to get your take on this uh, this stock, ECL, Ecolab.
3: Okay. And Paul, you said emotion attached to it. You know, our our slogan at our firm is no emotions, just results. So be careful of those emotions there uh, with the stock. So let's, let's take the numbers here for you. Uh, I do see in the, the field of specialty chemicals, a good side, uh, not much on the short side, only 0.9% is a short. Institutional ownership is high, 88.2. Not a good start in the P-E ratio, though, 59 versus 32. That's pretty high industry and pretty high company. Price of sales also high, 5.4 versus 2.3. Price of book value 9.6 versus 3.3. They have no, uh, they have a lot of intangible assets, so no price of tangible book value. And price of cash flow also expensive, 32 versus 16. So very high uh, valuation ratios here, which are not good. PEG ratio doesn't look too bad. It's 2.5 versus 6.2. Now the earnings over the past year are down 4.4 percent. Industry was up 25.8. Even for the five-year average, only up 1.7. Not as good as the industry up 5.4. We do see sales fell 13.1 percent over the past year. Industry was up 7 percent. They do have a very good five-year earnings per share growth estimate of 18.4, which is better than in the industry. At 9.3. Now they do pay a small dividend here of a 0.9%. Use 48.7% of earnings to pay that out, which is kind of high uh, for such a small dividend. I'm, I'm surprised on that. Taking a look at the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 1.7 versus 1.9. That is good. Debt equity 0.9, same as the industry. That is good. Uh, a little bit of warning sign here as well. I see high intangible assets, 50.3%. Uh, are intangible versus 35.8 for the industry. Probably intangible assets, they could be written down which would destroy your your balance sheet or could destroy the assets on your balance sheet. We do see the uh, net profit margin, 9.1 versus 7.8, that is good. Uh, Return on equity also looks pretty good, 16.3 versus 9.9, so some conflicting information here. Uh Chase, what do you got for uh, earnings going forward?
4: Yeah, so current price here for Ecolab, again the ticker symbol is ECL, $231.50. 52-week high 238.93, so it it sounds like it it hasn't really pulled back from the high, it just hasn't really moved almost because the 52-week low is 201.15 and year to date it's up 7.9%. So it, it almost seems to kind of be range bound here between the the low and the high. Uh, looking forward, though, for Eco Labs, I go out to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $5.91 would give us a target sell price, unfortunately, of just $98.11. So this company is expensive, and it's, it's trading like a growth company, but the last five years, earnings haven't been there. But as Brent mentioned, the five-year estimate looks very good for the earnings growth. And also, too, next year, earnings are estimated to grow about 23.3%. So what happened to this company? Where they had issues growing, and now all of a sudden they're reverting back to that growth. That's a big question I would have, but uh, to be quite frank with you, it's it's just too pricey for us to begin
3: with. Anyways, it's just not a not a value company trading at this type of valuation. And, and Paul, I want to ask you too. Percentage-wise, how much does it make up on your portfolio?
6: Oh yeah, it's like one or two percent. It's not a not a big, um, not a big position there, but. I have um, made a good profit in it, and I'm wondering if it is a little <laughs> overextended based upon the financials at this point.
3: Yeah, and I know you said you're emotionally kind of attached to it, but I, w- I would have to right. say, based on what we're seeing, it, 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 we recommend a sell on it. doesn't mean it won't go higher, but it's just we can't find a reason to say, yes, it's great, stay with it. Uh, we would put a sell on that one.
6: Yeah, I think there have been warning signs in the last year with the earnings going down. I, that's completely unexpected. Yep. for a company in this business I think yeah so very very valuable thank you for the uh, advice if you have more time uh, I'm interested in 3M as well
3: <laughs> uh, we'll have to have you call back because we do have some other calls behind you so we've got to go to them and uh, you, you know we're here every Saturday from uh, 8 to eight to 9 So, yeah.
4: and if you do miss the show you mentioned the podcast uh, send us an email as well uh, or you can contact us on our website, smartinvesting2000.com, and, and we'll, we'll try and uh, do 3M if you are unable to call back in. Yeah.
6: All right, very good. Thanks all a lot. Right,
3: all right, Paul, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye bye. All right, that does open the phone line 833 288 0973. That's 833 288 0973. I'm so happy
4: Paul brought up the podcast because a lot of times people are like, oh, I only caught like 10 minutes at the end of the show and uh, I was curious what you're talking about that. Well, hey, there's this great thing called our podcast, the Smart Investing <laughs> Podcast where you can go back and listen to the show and, and past shows as well. That's on Apple. It's on, uh, what, what else is on Spotify? Right. It's on our website as well, smartinvesting2000.com. You can find our, our, our podcast there. So if you missed the show, don't worry. You can go back and, and listen to it at any time you'd like.
3: And it's probably best on the website too because it's easy to remember. Just go to smartinvesting2000 dot com. Everything we do is smart investing. So if you say I missed a show, wait, there's something on smart Investing 2000 I'll find yeah. it there. Yeah. So, all right. Oh well, I was just gonna go to the next caller, and I looked over, he was gone. He was uh, asking about the mileage tax, uh, some other things, and I I looked over, and and he was gone. And had I known that, I, we could have stayed more with Paul. Oh, he know. To <laughs> you know, he wanted to do three. You know what? He wanted to do three M. So, uh, well, let's see. Now we got to. Uh, uh, Looks like we might have the caller coming in. Maybe he came back in. Uh well, well, well let's go to uh see if we can go to Bill in San Diego. Bill, you're on the Smart Invest show with Brent and Chase. How can we help you?
2: Oh, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I was wondering what you think on that uh, TSE.
3: Oh. Uh what's the symbol TSE?
2: TSE, yes. Actually, I used to live about four houses down from me here.
4: Huh. Is oh. it
3: Trinseo? Yes. Interesting. Okay. And I used to live a, a, a few houses down from you, you said?
2: Yep, 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 in Scripps Ranch.
3: Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad you're calling. <laughs> 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 All right, do, do you own, uh, how do you say this, Trinsey? Trinseo. Trinseo? Do you own that bill?
2: I took a little position, uh, I think it was Wednesday. I owned it once before, I made money in it, and I sold it, and now I look at this, so I see it's falling back again. And I've usually had pretty good luck if I buy back one I've wa- I've made in the past, and just the opposite. Once I've lost money, I try buying the second time. I usually lose again. Being so. <laughs> well, broke, don't uh, fix
3: it, right? Right. us <laughs> we'll, we'll see what that <laughs> looks like for uh, Trinseo here, uh, symbol of TSE. Uh, they're in the special chemical chemicals industry. Now, one thing too on special chemi- chemicals, they many times use a lot of petroleum, so they could be hurt by the higher oil prices. They only about 4.8% is uh, short on the company. 96% institutional ownership, that's very high. Great P.E. ratio though, 7.3 versus 32. Price to sales, 0.5 versus 2.3. Price to book value, 2.2 versus 3.3. And price to cash flow, 5.8 versus 15.9. So that all looks pretty good. Even the peg ratio looks good at 0.9 versus 6.2. Now, in the earnings per share, one-year change, nothing there. Industry was up 25.8. Earnings per share, five years, 4.5 versus 5.4. Sales are up 49.7% over the one-year versus 7%, so I like seeing that. The five-year uh, earnings per share estimated growth is 6%, a little bit below the industry at 9.3, but still pretty good growth at 6%. They do pay a 2.4% dividend, and I love seeing this. The payout ratio, only 57 Taking a look at the balance sheet here, and unfortunately, my enthusiasm is going to wane here because I see a current ratio of 2 versus 1.9, that is good. What doesn't make me feel good, debt equity 280%, well above the industry of 0.9. We do also see they have a net profit margin of 8.4 versus 7.8, that is good. Return on equity, very good, 41.5 versus 9.9, which could mean maybe low equity, maybe not such a bad debt situation. Got to look at that balance sheet to see, but uh, what well, things look like going forward, Chase.
4: Yeah, so current price here for Trinsejo is $53.49. 52 week high, well, it's $76.49, and the low $41.84. Uh, year to date return just 5.5 percent, and as I said, really pulled back from that 52 week high. Not quite sure why that occurred. We want to understand what's going on with the business. Uh, may also be from rising energy prices, as it looks like it is a chemical company that could be hindering their their margins. Uh, looking forward for, again, Transeo, uh, going out to December 2022. I see estimated earnings per share of $8.38. That would give us a target sell price of $139.11. So the value is definitely in there. One thing that, that is concerning, though, is this year they're estimating to make $10.77. <laughs> and I said next year, $8.38. That's a, a pretty substantial decline. Uh, I do wonder, as I said, if that is stemming from energy prices having a impact on profit margins. Yeah, and I know yeah. that... The,
3: We've heard predictions on oil prices uh, as much as $150 a barrel, which would really be very difficult for this company. I don't know if we'll go that high on oil. Uh, The other thing I would look at here, too, uh, Bill, would be what type of chemicals are they using? How much petroleum are they using? Because if it is really a high concentration of petroleum to make these chemicals that they have, uh, I'd probably have to say stay away from the company because it could get worse before it gets better.
2: Well, that's good advice. I didn't even think about that that angle there. Can, can they um, go out and buy um, options on oil on, on their product uh, years out, or they're like an oil cup? And you can uh...
3: they they can, and many times they do. and That's another good thing to look at because maybe they did. I've seen other companies do this to where they will buy the options so that they lock in the price they want, which is actual options were supposed to be used for, not yeah. speculation. But uh, yeah, check that as well, and you can find that problem at ten Q, the ten K, to see if they are doing that maybe even come up in the conference call that the executives will talk about it.
4: I will say one thing that does do is it it complicates the earnings picture because yeah. the options are you're losing money on the options potentially but one thing it does for the business we've had other companies that did it with currencies it actually smooths out their cash flows so i, I like to see it It's something you have to dig through in terms of the earnings but maybe that's an issue they're having in 2022 is they could be having i'm just going to call it write downs on those options or losses that they have to take on those options
3: but uh definitely a good angle to look at there as well bill and, Bill, if you find that, you're going to feel so good, like, wow, this is good. This is why Chase and I get so excited about this stuff. When we dig through these these financials and stuff and see this information and you find it, like, wow, I know I'm going to be right or I found something that this is going to be a problem, I'm going to get out of the company. So that that's the exciting part of investing.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right, okay. Yeah, I heard somewhere that they're buying a big chunk of the company back, which kind of perked my ears, but until they do it, that doesn't, you know, it's just, it's just a – talk until they actually do something like that.
3: So you're, you're right. A lot of times they'll talk about it, and they will say that, but they're not required to do it. It's nice to hear that. Sometimes the stock will take a bump on it, but a financial situation, uh, situation changes down the road, they may not do that, and all of a sudden what you thought was going to happen didn't. So uh, be careful of that
2: one, yeah. Right, right. Okay, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend.
3: All right, you too, Bill. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Well, that pretty much uh, wraps it up. We don't have enough time to take another call, but uh, some great calls today, Chase. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was going to say I, I, I thought it was a good show in our, our uh, new studio here. Yeah, and we didn't have too many glitches. I, I think your 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 screen went blank once, mine went blank once, but I think we got that resolved. I guess we're going to make it so it stays on longer. That maybe there's a, a turn off on it for, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I, We're not I, tech guys, so. Well, you're more of a tech guy than <laughs> I am. I'm I'm the worst. I barely know how to turn the computer on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of like just just do it for me, because I want to look at the numbers. I don't care how to get there. I just want to look at those numbers. So. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was gonna say, I, I think we have
4: one, a couple minutes here. Just bring up something real quick, and and you know that was something I was shocked by. Is Bank of America mm-hmm. actually came out with a recent estimate on the S and P 500, and we talk about index investing a lot. Oh, yeah. And Bank of America estimates that the index will grow at a rate of just 0.5 percent not including dividends over the next 10 years and that's one thing we're warning people on we talk about the growth stocks and how that can impact the index i'm worried about a lot of investors here kind of with the last decade that we've seen the index climb that they're having these high expectations i I don't think they're going to come to fruition i I, i'm not sure if i agree with bank of america to a t but i i do agree with the the heavy concern on what the index will do over the next 10 years
3: it's really worth noting because again maybe they're not right on but if you look at the the index will last hundred years you will see you cannot have a decade like we had uh the last decade and even last year it's just not going to continue so be careful un- unfortunately yeah. uh there's a closing bell thank you for listening to smart investing show it is for informational purpose only and should not be used as investment advice Let's discuss in more detail your investment needs have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening. Today's uh, closing song is performed by uh, Frank Sinatra My Way by local entertainer, Rome Palacios. Have a good day. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show.